Want a journey? All right. Um, Mark, there's no more videos, things, or anything like that coming up yet, right? All right. Very good. More. Oh, Kidmo. Bound to the doors, children. Run away. <laughs> Everybody feeling good this morning? All right. Um, I was going to take a few minutes to um, explain why I'm up here and not Mark, but the fact is he's up there doing that, and um, we were talking about this series. Um, but I'm not going to do that because we have a lot of things to go over. In fact, I am setting, my lovely bride, will you bring me my phone? I'm setting a stopwatch because uh, there's a lot of things that I want to cover this morning, and I want to make sure we get to uh, all of that we can because I feel it just is very, very important to where we are in, our, in this journey, where we are in the body of Christ in these days, where we are in our, the context of our world, and things that I think really matter and things that we need to um, really need to address and talk about. And I hope to encourage you this morning. I hope to challenge you this morning. And I hope to give you a little bit of insight into how we can continue to move forward in God's intent for our lives and who we are um, in being his, his children. And I count it a great joy and privilege to be here today and to take us further in our discussion and experience into this rhythm series. So far, we've investigated guidance, um, this year, the, the discipline of guidance, um, the discipline of silence and solitude, um, and those generally go together, and the discipline of uh, suffering and adversity. And if you happen to miss any of those, um, they're, obviously the videos are online and things like that. I really would encourage you to go back and catch all of these series because they, they, they do connect with each other. Um, they do feed into each other. And today we're going to talk briefly about the rhythm of contemplation, meditation, and study in particularly, as they have historically been practiced within the Christian faith. Sometimes people get a little wonky when you use terms like meditation because they're thinking about Eastern mysticism and things like that. But contemplation and meditation and study of the, of the scriptures and taking that in and doing something with that is integral to what it means to be a follower of Jesus and his disciple. And we're going to see why that's true here in just a minute. Um, but before we jump into this next rhythm, this next discipline, Mark and I spent a lot of time talking about this series. This, these, these subjects um, are things that I have been pursuing as an as a individual disciple of Jesus and as a youth pastor and, as an, uh, and, and through our company, through Adventure Ministry, for well on 30 years. The spiritual disciplines are something that's so shot through in my life that it's hard to have a context for my walk with Jesus without this, the things we're talking about. And so what Mark and I really talked about in great length was that we felt it would be valuable to pause for just a second at the beginning of this, or a few minutes at the beginning of this, um, to make sure we're connecting with the reason these are important. The reason behind the, the saying, hey, we need to engage in these rhythms. Because in churches, we're quite used to hearing the oughts, the shoulds, you need to do this, you need to do that, you should do this, you shouldn't do that, you ought not do that, and if you do this, you're good, if you do that, you're bad. Um, we're very familiar. If you've been around churches at all, um, you, you've, you've, been, you've felt that pressure, and you felt those things kind of come down the pike. You've certainly heard about all the things you shouldn't do. And preachers and teachers, um, who I, and I count myself among those, we're really good at dispensing the what. This is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. But often what's lacking is, at least in my experience, I can only speak from where I'm coming from. I'm, 
I have a one limited life and one limited experience and my set of emotions and my set of baggage and all of that stuff. So I can only speak to where I'm coming from. But in my experience um, is that a clear presentation of the why and the how helps me engage with the many pieces of the what information. Does that make sense? Um, maybe it's my generation. Maybe it's my age. Maybe it's me being growing up as a rebellious rock and roller that I want to know, tell me why this is the case. Tell me, what, tell me why I need to do these things. Tell me, if you tell me why, you'll explain to me the outcomes. You'll explain what I'm going to get from this. Then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to much more likely to be on board and to get it. So the question we have before us today are why these spiritual rhythms? Why engage in these things that has historically been called the spiritual disciplines or practices? Why are they important? And really more importantly, what purpose do they serve outside of just doing what some pastor or teacher or whatever said we ought to do? And that's what we're going to investigate. And to put it plainly, mark this down, write it down, cross your forehead, put plainly and simply, the spiritual disciplines, these rhythms are the active, indispensable, God-ordained tools that we have at our disposal disposal for participating with God and in his agenda for our lives. I'm going to say that again because I want you to catch it. It's critical to everything we're talking about. The spiritual rhythms are the active, indispensable, and God-ordained tools that we have at our disposal, as uh, things that we can grab a hold of, that we can use, that we can do, that we can engage with, that allows us to participate with God in his agenda for our lives. Which sort of begs the question, what is God's agenda for our lives? What is God's agenda for our lives? Sometimes it's different than our agenda for our lives. There's no place in Scripture that probably encapsulates it better than Romans 8.29. And it answers it pretty succinctly, though very often, and this is true of so many areas of Scripture, that many miss it because it's usually overshadowed by the verses that precede it. Most often when I hear Romans 8 read, um, the reading stops at verse 28 since it's one of the most well-known, comforting verses in all of the Scripture. And what it says, Romans 8, 28, says, And we know, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. And then verse 29 says, For, because, those whom He foreknew, watch this, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, we're used to um, hearing the idea of image. This verse, in tw- this verse 29 lays out very clearly God's agenda for your life and mine as a disciple of Jesus. That is, that we would be, he predetermined that when he was going to call people to himself, he predetermined his goal was to make them, transform them, change them, make them from who they are into an image of his son. Now, this Greek word used here is the word ekon. That's the transliteration of it. And, and it's where we get our English word icon, picture, image, right? But the richness of this meaning far surpasses the mere idea of a representative or a, a representative image or reflection. The word literally means an exact representation. It, it means, it, it means the, the character and it means the, the, the qualities of the, the thing that's being reflected. Um, the word literally means an exact representation, and the Amplified Bible puts it this way in 1 Colossians 15. Jesus, speaking of Jesus as it relates to God, he is the exact living image 
and it says in brackets, the essential manifestation of the unseen God. So I want you to just sit with that for a moment. What the scriptures say Jesus is to God the Father says that God's agenda is that that same for us as it relates to the person of Christ. Just as Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father, the same image of icon, the same this same image of of image is we are God's agenda is changing us into that image. That's God's agenda for us. Everyone who comes to Jesus, trusting him for forgiveness and enters into the into the kingdom reality, is to become the very essence, the, the very image, and to attain the very character of Jesus himself. So whatever 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 my purpose and agenda is in life, and I can promise you, I have to monitor it all the time. What gets my time and energy and focus? Whatever your agenda is as a disciple of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, whatever your agenda is, this is God's purpose for us. This is God's intent for us. And what I can, what I found out in over 35 years of walking with Him is He will not be dissuaded. He will have His He He will have His way. Sometimes that means. Um, hardship for us because we're sometimes hard-headed and won't listen and we're we're frustrated by the adversity but god will continue to reach because this is his agenda for us and this is further borne born out by the dynamics that are involved in the rabbi disciple um relationship that we see in when well with jesus and his disciples but in that whole culture jesus's own words regarding the outcome of being a disciple is this in luke 6 he said a student is not above his teacher. But everyone, after he has been, what's that say, folks? What's it say? Completely trained will be like his teacher. Again, Jesus has this same agenda. I wish I had the time to go into and unpack all of the beautiful components of what it meant to be a rabbi and a disciple. Um, because you, when you when you understand that, um, it makes such a difference in how, what you see the disciples doing. We hear Jesus saying, but we just literally don't have time to cover all that. But suffice it to say, in every respect, the agenda of a disciple in Jesus' day, in that culture, in that context, when a, when a rabbi called a disciple, when a, when a disciple signed up to become the Talmud of the, that particular rabbi, what that... that, that um, Disciple was saying is, I want to become just like you. In every respect, the agenda of the disciple was to become like his rabbi. And that wasn't just to, as we often think in our culture, just to gather all the knowledge that that rabbi had. The whole concept, the whole idea was to take on that rabbi's yoke. That's what that means when it says, take on my yoke upon you. Rabbis had a teaching, a life structure, a, a, everything about how they, how they understood the Scripture, how they, how they translated it, how they interpreted it. That, that was their yoke. And when a disciple came along, it's how they lived their life. When they came on, they took that rabbi's yoke upon them, which included their character, their actions, their way of life. Make sense? You tracking so far? Are you feeling like you get shot out of a gun? 
Sorry, I'm just trying to move through because there's some really good stuff. Now, I'm sure you're probably sitting there going, okay, great. You know, you spent a lot of time telling me something I already know. <laughs> I'm supposed to be like Jesus. Welcome to Sunday school. Right? But I can promise you, in my experience with myself, and that's all, again, all I can do is speak from my experience. With my experience with myself and leading and teaching people for all of this time, what I submit to you is most of us actually don't get it. We actually don't get what it means and what we're called to and what God, God's agenda is and practicality and reality. We know it you know, cerebrally or theoretically that we're supposed to be like Jesus, but God's agenda is to change us. But the reality is we have a gigantic problem that stands really in the way of us becoming like Christ. And I've rarely, in all of these years, I came to, as a, to no, trust Jesus as, at 17 as a high school student. No relation to church, no background at all. I had a friend share Christ with me, and he just invaded my life, and I just started this path and this journey. And in all that period of time, I've rarely heard, heard pastors, teachers, or even books talk about this issue in the way that the Bible talks about it. And even fewer people have explained effectively how to address it on an ongoing basis. It gets kind of hit here and there and thrown around and all, there's a whole lot of guilt shoveled and all kinds of things. But the, the Bible talks about this force. And the problem we have is the roadblocks that's created by the presence of the fallen self within. We often will, we, we hear a lot about us being lowly sinners and all those sorts of things, and, and that is part of it. But it's not the picture that is completely given throughout all of the New Testament about what all of that looks like and how we deal with it. See, the Bible talks about this force, this indwelling presence, this, this part, of, part of us, part of us, that is in, in rebellion against God, and actually the Scripture says cannot be subject to God. It's not possible. Cannot be. What often happens, however, in religious cultures is we try to heap all of these things that we do, and we hand it to the sin nature and the fallen self within, and we go, okay, be better. Be, be a good boy. Be a good girl. Stop Stop doing the things that you inherently have to do because you're the fallen nature within. This presence is referred to as the old self in Romans 6 and Ephesians 4. It's referred to as the flesh, which is really kind of an unfortunate translation because people get it very confused with their body, which is not the same thing. It's referred to as the flesh in Galatians 5 and Romans 8, and it's the sin that dwells in me in Romans 7. And I want to I want to hit look at Romans seven um, a little bit more closely because I'm hoping it's going to help connect the dots for us because this area of scripture again I've heard it taught a million times I've never heard it taken apart and actually trying to explain the dynamics and the experience of what we what we run into and why it's, why that's the case and then what we do about it or how to deal with it. Romans 7, now chances are you've heard this passage, and anyone who has ever tried to live as a Christian can identify with, this, with the, the experience that this describes. Holy Hannah, have I ever dealt with this experience and these emotions on a given, any given day. 
Romans 7 says, I do not understand my own actions. Anybody else? Anybody else win? Anybody else? Well, the rest of you, you're liars. Thank you, thank you. Finally got a little bit of response here. He says, for I do not do what I want, but I do everything I hate. Now if I do not want, do what I do not want, I agree that the law, that it is good. So now, watch this, listen. It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Hang on to that. For I know nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, that is in my fallen nature, that is in that sin that dwells within me. For I don't do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep doing now, if I do what I do not want, he says it twice in the course of a single paragraph. It is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Let me show you reality that is so important to understand that hopefully will help turn a light bulb on for you because there is so much misinformation and misunderstanding about this dynamic in our life and what it means and how we navigate it and how it interfaces with the world around us. Because, folks, I'm telling you, the culture that we're in and the religious culture we're in and the greater thing around is the fallen nature wearing a religious robe on parade. It's unbelievable the way that the, there's so much that has departed completely from the way of Jesus, but is carrying, wrapping itself in a robe of religiosity with his name slapped on the back. It's, it's troubling to me. It's deeply troubling to me because it affects people. Now, undoubtedly, you've heard the declaration of Romans 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and Ephesians 2, which says that we are all dead in our trespasses and sins. That's just how the Bible speaks of unredeemed natural man. That's just the condition that we're in. <clears throat> but I want you to look with me at Romans 6. And I want you, we're going we're gonna to read through it, and we're going to recognize something, and we're going to let it sink in. For if we have been united with him in, his, in, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is speaking of those who have come to Jesus, says, you're the rabbi, you're, you're, <clears throat> I want to be your disciple. I recognize my, my position as a sinner. I recognize your ability to cover my sin, and I therefore step from death into life and receive your, your gift of eternal life and sign up to be your follower. That's what coming to Christ is. It's not just the Savior. It's adopting Him and His teaching. For those who do that, that's who He's talking about. He goes, We shall certainly be united with Him in His resurrection. For watch this, we know that our old self, there it is again, was crucified with Him in order that the body might be brought to nothing so we could no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. <clears throat> no, death will no longer have dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lived, he lives to God. 
so also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. At one point, sin was, thank you, central driving force in our life, which we're going to see in a moment. But he goes, then he says, that is dead. That has been crucified. But he goes on, he says, therefore let sin not reign. To obey its passions, do not represent your member, or don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as though it had been brought from the dead. Sin will no longer have dominion over you. And yet our experience is that it's still around. It's still it's still doing its thing. And yet the truth is. The reality is, and uh, Marcus, throw out that first image. That's kind of what we are. Right? Yeah, basically, when you, when you start analyzing humanity, when you start thinking about the actual dynamic, we don't do this very often. What we typically do is we, the busyness, our thoughts, our ideas, our perspectives, all of those things... Um, we, we have we have an agenda. We got to get up in the morning. We got to go to work. We got to go to school. We got to pay the bills. We got to do all those things. We rarely think about what's going on in our life and, and what's going on in our life and why we do what we do, why we say what we do, why we act the way we think, why we feel the way we feel. We rarely think about those things. They are all mixed up together. This is the vision or this is the perspective of the natural human being. The natural human being is just simply full of all. The, we have the we have the um, the image of God within us. The picture we get from the New Testament that before Christ, we entered into a relationship with Christ, before we were forgiven, became a disciple, and entered into the reality of the kingdom, what we identify as me, right, includes our true self, our heart, our will, all of our emotions, all the psychological things we got going on, our bodies. Every bit of that was in unilateral bondage to the fallen self. The fallen self was in necessarily in the driver's seat of our thoughts, our emotions, our bodies, and our natural responses to the people and the situations around us. It drove the bus of our lives. Period. Make sense? Track it? So much so, it was, it's so entrenched and so entangled in, in us as human beings, in our natural state, that we often identify it even after coming to Christ as part of who we are. Which, then, which is why you still have people who have come to Christ who are striving to be a disciple says, I'm just a miserable sinner. Well, you used to be. Now you have a sin nature that dwells within you that you have to fight against, but you are no longer necessarily unilaterally in bondage. Is that exciting to anybody? Amen? So this is humans in our natural state. Flip the next one up, Mark. So this is kind of the visual representation. What we usually identify as me includes our spirit, the image of God we possess, the thing that makes us human. It includes our mind, our heart, our will, our physical body. Together, those things kind of make up what I call the true self. It also includes what the Bible says is the old self. Again, in our natural state, fallen self held sway. But 
what the cross and the resurrection did for us, as described in Romans 6 that we just read, was to decouple the fallen self from our true selves, our minds, our wills, and our bodies. And this is the next image for him. The work of Christ broke the fallen self's irresistible grip on us and made it possible for the true self and the image of God within us, along with our hearts, wills, minds, and bodies that are empowered by the Holy Spirit, to wrest the steering wheel away from the bus and drive it in a different direction. Does that make sense? Does that communicate? That is who we are as disciples. That is who we are in relation to the presence of sin that is always, will always be present with us in our lives. The difference is, it is no longer our master. It doesn't, it can be, you can let it be, we can let it be, we can live in bondage to it, we can, we can be free, the gates of the doors, can, the gates of the prison can be open, and we can sit right there on the bench and say, woe is me. But the fact is, we now have the power because of the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what happens in, in, our, in redemption. The Spirit of God is given as a comfort and a guide to the truth. And the fallen self is decoupled from the true self. But its influence, watch this, its influence is still completely entangled and woven in amongst who we are throughout our being and our thoughts, our emotions, our patterns of actions ingrained bodily habits, and all of those, all of those things, if we are going to experience the freedom that is to be a disciple, if we're going to experience the transformation, the change from all of that into the character of Christ, all of that has to be teased apart and disentangled. It's almost like you have this tapestry and there's a picture on the side that's not, it's all just messed up and it's distorted. And it's if that those threads of the fallen nature, when you take the threads out of the back, that crazy part back there, when you take the threads out of the back, you change what the picture looks like. So what we have to be about is through the power of the Holy Spirit and truth and all these things we're talking about in a minute, is we have to be pulling, disentangling the influence, the the perspectives, the attitudes, the habits that had, that are part of our lives because of the nature, fallen nature within us, because as we do that, more and more and more of those, they get pulled out, pulled out, pulled out, picture changes. Amen? Picture changes. That is God's agenda for us. One of the most life-changing truths I want you to take away from today is that in Christ, the fallen self is no longer synonymous with who you are. It's present, it's powerful, it's deceptive, and man, oh man, is it on parade today. But we're responsible to not give in to its control. We're responsible to recognize what it's doing, recognize, but it is no longer who you are. All right, I gotta move. Let me just check and find out where we are. See what I can not say and still get to the end. You guys with me so far?
So our responsibility in the process is changing mission criticals. We have to see and accept that the fallen self and its influence remains. And in cooperation with God's agenda to transform us into the image of Christ, we have to disentangle that influence, those patterns, and all of those things that we just discussed. That, ladies and gentlemen, is our part of our salvation. That's our part. That's the thing we must do. That's the thing we have to be engaged in. That's the thing that God, watch me, will not do for us. He's already done everything. Scripture says, First Peter says, you've given, been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. But, he said, but the Scripture also says, um, pay close attention to yourself. Pay attention to what's going on. And then work out your own salvation. You, we have things that, we, unless we do them, unless we participate with God in this process, the process will not occur at the pace and the rate that he wants it to. Because I, I promise you folks, and the greatest thing that our world needs it's not more people preaching. It's not more people yelling. It's not more people jumping up and down. It's not more people condemning everybody. It's not what we desperately need is the body of Christ to reflect the heart, the actions, the love, and the character of Jesus. Not American Jesus with the bombs and the guns and the you're bad, 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 and but the heart of Jesus that you see in the Sermon on the Mount, and you see as he interacts with people, whoever they are. That's good. That's good, too. Can't say that. We'll take it until the end of the time. All right. So the question is, how do we do that? It's great. This is what we need to do. We need to disentangle the fallen nature. We need to identify these things. We need to identify the attitudes and perspectives and all of these things, all these bodily habits and responses and anger and emotions that that spring from that place while we're trying to disentangle it. How do we, how do we, how do we, how do we do that? I'm really glad you asked. That is the reason. That is the tool of the rhythms, and the spiritual disciplines in our life. That is what they are designed to do. They are the active, God-ordained actions that we can take, things that we can do, places we can place ourselves before God to cooperate with God and address the fallen self and its influence. It can all, the, the fallen nature can't be ignored. It can't be dismissed, dismissed or explained away. It has to be rooted out and have its control taken away. And how do we do that? We do it via the active, indispensable, God-ordained tools of the spiritual rhythms, the disciplines of the spiritual life. Literally, folks, these, these have existed, and these have been the mechanism and the tools for transformation since the very beginning of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. If you go go back as far as you want to, the earliest written record of early Christians, and you will find these practices. The reasons you find them again and again and again, and after and periodically, why they emerge once one more time 
and, and books and things is because they work. It, they, they, they're what we need. It's also, we're also admonished to do all of these things in large New Testament patches such as Galatians 5, Colossians 3, Romans 12, Romans 6, 2 Peter 1, and it just goes on and on and on and on. So we practice the rhythm of guidance. We acknowledge God's presence and rule in our lives. We actively seek Him, what He wants to say to us, fully expecting that the arc of His communication will always be towards making us more like Jesus. So it might tell us about a job, might tell us about raising kids, but it's all in the context of my goal is your transformation. And then we practice the rhythm of silence and solitude where we shut off the noise. Holy crow, we have a noisy world. We shut the noise off of the world around us and our own voices and we unhurriedly listen. We rest. We identify the movements of the Holy Spirit and the fallen self and, and we seek and see how to counteract its influence in working. And we embrace the rhythm of suffering and adversity, understanding that is one of the greatest tools we have for growth and transformation. Watch this. is hardship, difficulty, and struggle. Because sometimes it's the only thing that gets our attention. It's the only thing that gets through. It's the only thing that breaks down, breaks through that barrier that the sin nature has, has, has put up against transformation because it will resist you, I promise. Sometimes it's all, that's the only thing that will get through. So we accept and embrace it when it comes and, and, and asking God to help us see its purpose. What, what is the reason for this? And how, how can I respond to it? And we participate in the process knowing that he works all things together for our good. Watch this. When we're participating in his agenda. Because when we're not participating in his agenda, suffering just is suffering. If we're not participating in his agenda, it's just wasted hurt. And finally, we practice the rhythm that's on tap for today is the contemplation, meditation, and study. We got time. Okay, good. Because one of the most influential areas of transformation that we need is in the context and quality of and how we think. And by extrapolation, how we think impacts how we feel. And just a stark, simple reality is we, we rarely live as much based on how we're thinking directly as how we're what? Our feelings drive so much of what we do and think in situations. If, if you don't believe me, you don't believe me that the fallen self loves to toy with our emotions and is not all about my, 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 I, 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 me, me, me. I submit as evidence the evening news, your Facebook feed, and rush hour traffic. We have to change the way we think. And that's part of the rhythm of contemplation and study and meditation. It stops us and it introduces us to truth that the Holy Spirit then says, that's it, that's right, that's true, that's what you need to engage with, that contradicts what you believe, so you don't need to explain this away, you need to change this. 
Romans 12, 1 and 2, there's no place that says it more succinctly than this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Another way of the world's system is driven on the influence of the fallen nature of humanity. Would you agree? So the, so the world's system, even religious systems, because their fallen nature loves religion, y'all. I'm serious. It loves it because it gets to hide. It gets to hide. It gets to pretend it's good. It gets to live that I, 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 me, me, me. But it gets to do it in a respectable way with my little tie on and all those things. But it's still the fallen nature. The world system is built on that dynamic, which is why it says don't be conformed to this world, this world system that's driven by the fallen nature, but be, what's the word? Transformed. Oh, here we're back to God's agenda again. By the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So in the rhythm of contemplation and meditation and study, we pursue truth in the attitude and perspective that I'm let, going to let truth change what I think, what I believe, and help disentangle the influence of the fallen nature and get rid of the falsehood that it tries to push forward. And primarily, this is through study of the Bible, the writings of others who have undertaken the journey of the Jesus' disciples, and the voice of nature, and the greater world around us. But the indispensable aspect of this rhythm is increased time and familiarity with the Bible itself. One more quote, and I've got to wrap this up because I'm out of time. In his book, uh, The Spirit of the Disciplines, Dallas Willard says of study, In study we strive to see the Word of God at work in the lives of others, the church, in history, and in nature. We not only read and hear and inquire, but we meditate on what comes before us. That is, we withdraw into silence where we prayerfully and steadily focus on it. In this way, its meaning for us can emerge and form us as God works in the depths of our heart, mind, and soul. We devote long periods to this. Our prayer, our prayer as we study meditatively is always that God would meet us and speak to us specifically, for ultimately the Word of God is God speaking. We read the Scriptures, we study them, we, we, we think deeply, we're still, we ponder, we listen. And then we prayerfully compare that truth to our attitudes, our perspectives, our ideas, our values, our priorities. And then we move to incorporate those truths into our lives. Not explain why this isn't, doesn't say what it says, but agree with what it says and say, no, the, the Scripture is right, the Word of God is right, the Spirit is The fallen self within me is wrong. And I have to pull that thread out where it conflicts with the truth. Which often means replacing these entrenched thoughts and ideas and related emotions. And that's a hard thing for people to do. We do this in the context of things like guidance and silence and solitude. For the rhythms rarely exist in isolation. And they're multiplied and impacted and magnified when we do them together. If all this sounds like a lot of effort and energy, I don't want to disappoint you and tell you a lie. It is. It just simply is. 
which is why in our culture that it's so busy and so run of the the culture that produced the one minute Bible. Many seem to have you ha, you just have to want it. You ha, you have to want it more than you want a lot of other things. Many folks and I just dealt with it my entire Christian journey. Many folks seem to have the perspective that the Christian life ought to be easy. That somehow God should just drop transformation on our heads. Why should I have to work for him? He just, we're saved for free and grace is free. And I was like, why should we have to do, why do we need any input on our part? And yet we inherently know that becoming in any capacity, creating or learning anything of value, changing or growing in any way, gaining any kind of ability, if it's learning how to play a guitar or learning how to learn a foreign language or whatever the case, we necessarily know that it will involve endless hours of intentional practice, trial and error, determination, effort, and sometimes outright physical pain. My fingers hurt constantly when I was a kid learning guitar. But you know what? I just kept doing it. I kept doing it. Why? Because I wanted it. But when, when it comes to the monumental task of becoming like Jesus, which is kind of a big deal, there's a, there's a pretty big gap between me and him. And when it, when it comes to the monumental task of becoming like Christ and disentangling a life's worth of wrong ideas, a life's worth of wrong ideas, wrong actions, wrong motives, wrong habits, and wrong emotions and, that are inherited from the influence of the fallen self, somehow we think that should just happen. I should be able, be able to view that on Sunday morning for an hour. But I can promise you, it won't. And God simply won't do our part for us. But when you find the pearl of great price and the treasure that's hidden in the field, you taste the wonder and the beauty that is life in the kingdom and how much better it is that living in a, as a slave to the fallen self, the sacrifices of time and energy start to feel a little like a bargain. And you'll start doing what it takes to untangle those things. Now, I put together, that is what the rhythm these relevant helpless do, and I put together something, and I've used these for so long, this is, there's, this is available on the back table. It's also available on the uh, YouVersion uh, app. So they're at the back table on the outside. And what this is, is a directed meditation. It's designed to do nothing but be a practical tool that you can use to practice, actively practice in your own space and time, this, this discipline of meditation and, and study. It's literally not even a whole page. But it, but it asks you to go to place out in the creation and think about some things, read some scripture, ponder some things, look at some things. It's just a taste of what silent solitude, meditation, and, and study of the Word of God actually does when you use them in context and you approach them this way. So I encourage you as for, for this week to take this, Grab it, go get alone, and see if God doesn't start going. And be some realizations, some understandings, and hey, here's a thread you need to pull. Hey, here's a spot where the fallen nature has it drives you. This process will never end because we'll never be free until the final redemption of our body, which is His, His us final going home and being in His presence. But our journey must include this. All right, I could be here all day because this is one of the most exciting subjects in, uh, I can think of to talk about is our transformation. But we're going to close.
Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here. Uh, I know we've run through so much ground um, over this time, but I pray that uh, your, your heart and desire for us to be transformed and to desire to, to pursue transformation would just be so attractive to us that we would begin to work into our lives these rhythms that help us to participate with you in your process of making us like Christ so that we can, we can as the Scripture says, shine like the stars around us, that we could, by just our character and the way that we live and the way that we love you and love others, that we would point people to Jesus because we're becoming more and more like him. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for all the ways that we don't get it right, and yet you just keep pulling us along, keep nurturing us along, keep cheerleading for us as we continue to, to struggle and move forward. May that pursuit be the greatest pursuit of our lives. Thank you for the time together. Protect us all in this crazy time that we're in. Protect people we go from here and bring us back together that we may encourage each other as we seek you. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome, y'all. Thank you for your time and patience and being here, everybody online. Um, check out the other videos if you haven't seen those. And hopefully we'll get to see you soon in person again. Love you. We'll bless you.